1: Two months, five victories against the top five, consistently beating the big teams. Man United are improving and welcome to Series 3, Episode 30 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast as we talk a poor second half performance that ended in drama with a 2-1 win against Arsenal thanks to Marwan Fellaini. It is progress, some big victories in the last two months, but that was an Arsenal side for the taking jack and it was not an opportunity that United took for a hammering.
0: No, it wasn't. It was a very weak Arsenal side, as you would expect, and then going for the Europa League. Pretty pretty poor performance, to be honest. Obviously, another victory against a top-six side, which is great, but the manner in which we got this one is probably one of the most disappointing of the season. It's just such an uninspiring game all round, I think. It was very flat. Um, I mean, you could definitely tell it was an end-of-season game and that both teams had don't really have that much uh going on in terms of the league right now see we're just trying to get second arsenal pretty much giving up on the league going for the europa league now so it was a it was a strange atmosphere for a united arsenal game i think made it all the stranger by it being wenger's last game and obviously all the tributes beforehand yeah just a, a strange atmosphere and a very flat uninspiring performance the,
1: the weird thing is i thought we started fairly well I mean Arsenal probably for the first few minutes were were the better side but I think United started creating quite a lot of half chances and then built on that and then once we got the goal you thought well we are playing better than Arsenal here we've got a better team can we kick on and we just didn't <laughs> and the win's is great and we won't talk about that much about the game because as you say it kind of it felt like a like a testimonial for Arsene Wenger but also not because because the quality on show at a testimonial probably would have been better, but after the, the Arsenal chat, we'll move on to our our awards this season: player, goal, young player, moment, worst moment, and all that. But it, it, the result is good, but because between February and April now we've played City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Spurs, and Arsenal, one every time, and there's there's obviously issues with this side, but that we can get those results so regularly. Again and again, kind of shows the strength of this team, and then obviously the the counter argument to that is well, we lost to West Brom, but I think although it was a win, it kind of showed another weakness in that we're just not ruthless enough, and we could have had the chance to really, really batter Arsenal in that first half because they weren't good. We improved after the goal, and we just we dominated the game, we dominated the game without doing too much, and I think if we'd gone for it on the counter attacks instead of pausing, hesitating, allowing us to recover, safeguarding ourselves, if you like. I think we actually could have got two or three past Arsenal in the first half and then had a comfortable second and maybe grabbed another. Yeah,
0: as soon as we scored the first goal, I thought it was game over, to be honest. I thought the only way that Arsenal, especially the team they put out, were going to have any chance of staying in the game would be if they kind of hung on and then maybe nicked a goal on the counter-attack going forward because still had, had some talent um, going forward. But yeah, once we scored the first goal, I expected that to... Not not run away with the game and turn into a four or five nil, but I expected it to be very comfortable. definitely we'd get another goal pretty soon after. But legit, it was just all very slow and very labored. I was watching, I was watching the game I think it was on, it was either Fox or NBC, SN, and Lee Dixon is one of the commentators on there and Lee Dixon talks a lot of crap, but one of the things that he did say, which I think was very true, is that why does it take this team so often? Why does it take us going behind for us to wake up and actually start playing how we, like the way we can? It happened against against Spurs in the FA Cup semi-final. It happened against City. It happened. We didn't go behind against Arsenal, but it took for Arsenal to score for us to wake up. And even then, it didn't really happen until the last ten, five or ten minutes when it started becoming a little bit more urgent. It is a strange thing yeah. with this team. I don't know if it comes from Mourinho or if it comes from the players. It's, but it's a long-term
1: seem... issue though, isn't it? I mean, it, it stretches oh, back yeah. to... I mean, to be honest, it stretches back to Fergie's last season. Sometimes, and Fergie's last two years, to be honest, sometimes it would take us a goal go down to actually react and and put in the performance you'd expect. But the really annoying thing with Arsenal is that it didn't even take them scoring in the first half to do that. It took about 10 minutes where Arsenal created a chance for United to respond. And then once we did respond, we were dominating. But then we didn't kick on from there. And then it took them actually scoring to get us to get our act together. And even after that, we, we weren't great. We got quite a fortunate goal with Fellaini. Um, obviously, a disallowed goal as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's not like we were carving them open, creating chance after chance after chance, and just either missing the chances or getting unlucky. It was we had two good chances. One of them, Fellaini should have scored. One of them, Fellaini somehow managed to flip facing the wrong way. Um, and it against the team that the team that Arsenal put out when lacking a lot of experience, lacking. Lacking like the fitness, honestly, to compete at that level for so long, which I think was a big reason why we ended up um creating a couple of chances towards the end of the game. We should have been carving them open four, five, six times in in the in one half, you know? It it should have been that kind of performance where we are able to do that because the players that Arsenal put out just weren't weren't used to that kind of that kind of game, that kind of what should have been the level that we can play at. Um,
1: um, and I
0: think that, that was what was so disappointing, is just that yet again We haven't played to the potential that we know that we can. We've seen it this season. We saw it in the comeback against Tottenham. We saw it brilliantly in the second half against City. We've seen it quite a few times this season, to be fair. And it's just so frustrating when we see that. And then the next week we have performances like we did against West Brom or performances like this one against Arsenal, where it seems like it does take some adversity to come our way before we actually start playing like we know we can. The other big one, obviously, Crystal Palace. Why did it take us to go 2-0 down for us to start creating some chances and end up winning 3-2? Three, three
1: you said the point I was about to say is that we've seen it. That's the annoying thing. We've seen it against Spurs and against City, that we we can terrify the best teams in the country. And this was an Arsenal side that had made eight changes. It wasn't a very weak Arsenal side. It still had Xhaka, um, Aubameyang, Mkhitaryan and some very high quality young players in there as well. Um, I think it was three of their top 10 most expensive signings ever. So it's not a terrible sign. It's a, it's a good collection of, of players. But it's not a great team and we can do better than that against City. So why can't we properly take it to them against Arsenal? Um, I, feel, I feel like it was a lot of it was sloppy. So for their goal, Valencia intercepts the ball, then plays a rubbish pass. Herrera leaves it for Matic. Then Smalling goes diving in. It was just, I, I, I mean, that was a complete mess um and Mkhitaryan finished very well to be fair to him and had a really good game back at Old Trafford but the the real problem was just wait hesitating on the counter-attack and I just think Mourinho doesn't really trust his centre-backs because there's all this thing about oh, he, he trusts Smalling a lot he clearly doesn't trust Lindelof that much it took him a while to get get a first team chance in the Premier League but I think with better centre-backs we might see Mourinho risk it more the same goes for full-backs I think it I mean, I mean, it's not a hundred percent that we definitely would because it is Mourinho. But I just don't think he trusts his defenders fully to allow us to place that much risk on them by counterattacking at full strength when we get the ball back. And I think if we had done that, we would have exploited Arsenal and and could have made many more chances in the first half, especially.
0: Well, I think it's also partly that he doesn't he doesn't trust the centre backs with the ball at their feet as well. Defenders have become becoming much more important part of going forward in the, in in the game now. You look at what Stones has done at City and and how around Europe, so many ball playing centre backs are becoming focal points for the start of their team's attacks. And you know the counter attacking point is one aspect of it. And I totally agree. I don't think Mourinho does trust our defence enough, and I don't trust our defence enough to be quite honest. We we've seen us concede calamitous goals, and we have eight ten people in the box. Let alone when it's just Smalling and Lindelof. Um, but I think it's also an important part of just a normal building building of the attack. So often we see from goal kicks that, or from when De Gea has the ball in his hands, we have to go long because there's just no trust in Smalling and whoever plays alongside him that they're going to be able to start and build an attack from us from the back because on the ball, we're just not good enough.
1: Paul Pogba, goals are put United in front. First half was very good. Second half, not good enough, but that goes for the whole team. But... He now has two goals and two assists in his last five games and three goals and three in three goals and three assists in six games against the the top five. His record against the top five is is actually very good given all the criticism he's had and this was another chance to to show his quality and it's now i mean this wasn't this wasn't a brilliant performance but it's now four good performances and some probably two in that can be classed as brilliant performances in five games for United and that's the kind of consistency that we want four out of five good games is what you want from your your star midfielder
0: no I, I agree I think Pogba has shown massive improvement in the second half of the season against the big teams it's not like let's let's be fair it's not been the entire season he has been great in the kind of rough patch uh from what what was it mid-October roughly just after the international break uh, since the first game against City this season we had a run of tough games he was poor, and he was—he's been poor. Uh, apart from the last month or so, he's been poor for stretches of the season. But in the, against the top five, the other, the the rest of the top six in the last couple of months, every time we played them in this half of the season, he's been brilliant. The City game, he was the driving force for us going forward. Against Spurs, I think he played very well. He was one of our better players against Arsenal as well. He's—I've—I've been really impressed with him. What he's been been able to do. Like he's come under a lot of criticism for not performing in big games for, you know, a lot of his time at United. But in the last few months, there's definitely not a criticism you can put, you can level at him. He's been very, very good. And so often, we hear this so often with Pogba in that, you no, know, he cost £89 million. He has to take the game by the scruff of the neck. And, you know, it's very rare that a midfield player can actually do that. But we actually have seen Pogba do that a couple of times this season against the big teams. And, and that's just what you want from your main man.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, Pogba really controlling games now. Even if it was only for, for half against Arsenal, he was still all right in the second half, though, that everyone should be better. And I think that comes down, it partly comes down to the mentality of the whole team. But what you'd really love to see is, is Pogba changing the mentality of that team. And when we're sloppy and when we're sitting back too much, is Pogba leading the charge against that? And that's something but you kind of see from Alexis Sanchez sometimes, but not all the time. Sometimes he just gets... Inwardly frustrated and, and doesn't encourage his teammates, but from all of them, they need to they need to help each other get out of that like sloppy mindset and and relaxed mindset. Um, and then Fellaini coming on um, and and scoring another winner in an important game. So and it looks like he's staying at United, which I think is a is a long term bad decision because reliance on a player like Maron Fellaini is a bad thing. But to be fair to him. Five years after David Moyes signed him, we didn't really think we'd be desperate to... Well, we didn't think the club would be desperate to keep Marwan Fellaini and offering him £140,000 a week. So, I mean, his his return from the ashes has been has, has been quite impressive. But long term, it's a, it's a bad move from United to give a 30-year-old a, a two-year contract, possibly a three-year contract on that kind of money when he's not actually a very good player and is holding United back in terms of style of play.
0: Yeah, agreed. I th- I think I think if we've been fair to Fellaini, and and you know, we we've, we've given him some credit on this podcast before, but he he does offer us something different and he has popped up with a lot of really important goals in his career, to be fair to him at United. And so fair play to him for that and fair play for sticking around when quite often he was always the villain at United, no matter what he did. And so I actually, I actually am very grateful for what he's done for us. And I think he's been a, a, very, he's been a trooper at you know, United. You know, but I agree that long term, it's not the best thing for him to be staying at the club. I think he does offer us something different. But he also gives us a way to keep that really just awful style of football that we, we often seem to be playing big games. I remember the game that really sticks out to me. Um, I actually can't remember off the top of my head if Fellaini played. But just in the general point of him being around the club makes us more likely to play the very direct, just long ball style. The game that sticks out was the derby at Old Trafford last season, when I remember um, Rojo, every single time he got the ball, just lumped it forward towards um, towards Zlatan. And I can't remember if Fellaini was playing, if he was towards uh, Fellaini as well. And it's just having Fellaini around the club makes us so much more likely to use that style, even when Fellaini isn't necessarily on the pitch. Uh, and long-term, it is, I think, the better solution for him to move on, find somewhere he can get regular football because he's not playing that much. Get some regular football and get him out of United and hopefully, at the same time, get rid of us too often using this really boring, negative style.
1: Exactly. it's. I mean, it is a criticism of Fellaini, but it's more criticism of Mourinho and United not being able to escape that reliance and dependence on Fulane is an option because if he was used as a substitute in the last 10 minutes of games and that was it maybe 10 15 times a season then okay but he's not and people say oh he's only made 15 starts this season well yeah because he was injured for for two and a half months he is relied upon far too much and he starts big games far too much he has started some big games sevilla um and that's not what, we just need to escape that. I saw, um, on Wenger, as we, we start to move away from the Arsenal game, good tweet from Johnny Sharples. He uh, says, you revolutionised the training methods of English football. You end the drinking culture. You changed diets and nutrition. You signed Thierry Henry, Patrick Vieira and Robert Van Persie. You got a whole season unbeaten and you still get done in by Youngie crossing it from our run. <laughs>
0: that's what you love to hear, really.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I tell you what though, it was, a, I was I was there and we didn't really know what was going on. Um, opposite the for end, so didn't really have any idea what was going on when the disallowed goal happened. I thought Fellaini had headed it into the, the top right corner. No idea Marcus Rashford was there. I mean, it it was obviously offside, but it was a great feeling because you you know when you get a late disallowed goal and you think you celebrate it gets disallowed and you think and there's still that tiny bit of hope in you, but really you're thinking this isn't going to happen, is it? Like that was our that was our chance. It's gone. And then Fellaini pops up again and just like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> um, and the, the perfect way to send send Wenger off with a with a goal in Fergie time. Yeah, we
0: really couldn't have been any, any better. Probably two of our, don't want to say our worst plays, not necessarily our worst plays, but our, our least flashy players, I guess, um, and pop it up to combine for a late, late goal in Fergie time to give Wenger one more loss at Old Trafford. Um, the ground where, He's lost more games than anywhere outside of the Emirates and Highbury, so really, just a perfect way to send him off from our perspective. Um, and you know, I, I on Venga, I think everyone understands how brilliant he's been for Arsenal over the years. And even though the last couple of years maybe haven't been quite so quite quite so great for him, I think it was a it was a nice tribute for United to to give him that little. Commemoration at the start of the game, and it was nice to see him and Fergie back out there uh, on on better terms now. I assume that they were back in the day.
1: Yeah, it's that it's that thing that both Venger said and many people on Twitter have said that once you're not a threat, you're not you're not really an enemy anymore, um, and you become a friend, which is very true. And even though there were there were the the songs of Arsene Wenger we want you to say, it was all very. I mean, it was a very respectful atmosphere. It was a warm welcome when he came on, a warm welcome for the tribute came out for the second half. He got. Applauded, some were giving him a standing ovation. It's and that's fine, like, once the game starts, then it's different, but that's fine. And I, I think that's good. Now, let's move on to our player of the season. Um, It's a tricky one because we're, we're not going to do candidates like they do at the official one. We're recording this as the official ceremony is going on at Old Trafford. We're not going to use candidates, we'll just give our player of the season. And it's it's hard one for me because David De Gea is the obvious candidate. But partly because it's been David De Gea for so many seasons and partly because I think his influence is is bigger than a lot of people realise in the Man United team and that when he was in bad form, um, United too were in bad form and I think that tells you the the importance of the player. I'd give my player the season, although really it should be David De Gea, I'd give it to, to Romelu Lukaku because... He's he's come into his first season at United, he's 24, huge expectation with a 75 million price tag um, and even more money if he, if he succeeds, um, replacing Zlatan Ibrahimovic effectively. And he comes in, has a very good goal scoring season, he's improved hugely, his attitude has been exemplary, he's ignored the media critics, he's ignored the, the fans booing him, um, he's been... He's been resolute in the media without being critical of the of the support and too critical of the media, and it's just been there's been pressure. He's responded to it. There's been pressure to get goals. he's scored goals. he's his hold up has improved drastically. It still needs work. His first touch still needs work. I mean, we saw that. Um, I I think it was a cup the cup semi final um, where his first touch effectively acted as an assist because it was it was so poor. But there's there's work to be done with Lukaku, but he is so important to this United side if his whole hold up play is not quite on point United can't really get out of the fence and if he's not scoring then there's very few other people who do score for us and that's why if we're we're going outfield player the season then then Romelu Lukaku and and I'll say that anyway just to avoid it being De Gea for for, I don't know the sixth season running
0: (laughs) I mean we might as well cancel this conversation now and just give it to De Gea at the start of every season until he leaves.
1: <laughs> call it the the David De Gea player yeah. of the Year Award,
0: yeah. Uh yeah, we at least need to name it after him after he does eventually leave. Um I, I yeah, I think there, there was three players that I had in mind. De Gea was one of them and like you said, if I'm talking about who is who has been the best in the best player on our team, just in general, I probably would be De Gea. He's I would say out of anyone on our team he has probably won us the most points this season. And Lukaku has also won us his fair share. Yeah. Um thinking of outfield players, the two the two that I had on in my on my mind were Lukaku as well. Um and just sneaking in there, I'd have Matic there too. Um I don't think Matic has been as important as Lukaku or De Gea. And I think he's also had he had a run around Christmas January where he wasn't in great form. Uh although Lukaku to be fair also had a you know, a period where he wasn't uh, particularly great. But I think Matic has been really, really important for us in so many games this season. He's kind of, he's had a second wind in the last few months as well. He's been brilliant in the second half of the season. So many big games. He was really the one keeping our our defence protected. He has been a lot better on the ball than I expected that he would be as well, to be fair. Been a very good signing. I think I will stick, stick to my guns and go with De Gea. Just because I think he's been so good again that I, I can't not give it to him. But if I wasn't a to be an outfield player, for me it would be Lukaku as well. But I'm going to give it to De Gea.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I mean, logical reasoning to give it to De Gea. Very rational um, compared to my decision just to give it to Lukaku because <laughs> I don't want to give it to De Gea again. Um, although if, if it makes De Gea stay at the club, then he can have the player of the year every year. Um, yeah. But I doubt it does. But yeah, Matic definitely deserves a mention because, as you say, better on the ball than expected. I think, to be honest, I think an improvement on Matic is needed. Not necessarily next, I mean, it'd be nice next season. Not necessarily next season, but certainly the season after. It's not the main priority, but I don't think he's the the level needed to challenge for the Champions League.
0: Yes, but I agree. Yes,
1: a, a very good signing, a cheap one, a short-term one but a player who's done fantastically well and like Lukaku and like De Gea when he plays badly, United play badly.
0: I think the thing with Matic as well is it's just the age in a lot of ways in terms of thinking about replacing him. If he was 24, 25, you'd say brilliant, he'll probably get better from here, but he's obviously not. And this is probably the best version of Matic we're ever going to see. So yeah, in a couple of years, he probably will need to go, but... For now he's definitely definitely not the priority and I've I've been he's definitely exceeded my expectations because after seeing him after seeing him play for Chelsea last season I wasn't particularly confident.
1: Yeah, he w- he wasn't my ideal signing and it was a surprise but he very quickly impressed us when he came into the side and and has continued to do so, although there's been some some poor performances, but that's the same for, for everyone in the in the squad, including De Gea to be fair, who's had yeah made a couple of mistakes. There's there's no one who's been mistake free this season and those three are the standouts. Now, young player of the year, we uh, there's not much choice for this, really. It's between, because Premier League young player of the year is under 24, isn't it? Or I think it might even yeah. include 24-year-olds.
0: I think it's 24 when you start the season. Basically,
1: it's a completely ridiculous award because it's not young player at all. Uh, given that the best players in the world are now breaking into squads at, eight, I mean, some at 17, 18, 19. Um, the fact that he could be playing for six years in the Premier League... I mean Wayne Rooney started. I mean, Wayne Rooney's playing for eight years in the Premier League when he could have still won yeah. Young Player of the Year. Real Young Player of the Year award is is under twenty one, and there's only really Rashford and McTominay to, to give that award to, and it would have to be Rashford because of a, a greater contribution this season. But obviously, honourable mentions to Scott McTominay, who's who's come in and done very well and earned Mourinho's trust, and I think has a has a long term future at the club. Yeah,
0: I, I think I like if I if I'm looking at it from an objective. Point of view and just who has been the better player? It's it's Rashford, hundred percent. He's just a lot further on in his in his development than McTominay is, and that's what you'd expect from a player who's been been playing regular first team football for two and a half seasons now. Um, but I, I do think, yeah, I think we need to give McTominay a very big mention because you're talking about who has exceeded expectations more, and for me, it's definitely McTominay. Um, I think Rashford's had had a a good season when whenever he's played, he's not. Not been terrible at all. Um, some very good performances, obviously. The two goals against Liverpool being the standout. But McTominay has come in, and I really didn't expect much from him. To be fair, when I, uh, when, I when he first started coming in, I've watched him a few times in the set. I think he looked a good player, but he didn't look anything remarkable. But he's done really, really well since he came in. So, yeah, I think he, he's probably been the one who's exceeded expectations a little bit more. But yeah, in terms of who is the better young player. Overall, it's definitely uh, definitely Rashford.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's not much choice anyway, but yes, Rashford and, and McTominay, more surprising, as you say. I mean, going off on, on continuing with surprise, is, I mean, you can either call this surprise or improvement of the of the season. And it's quite a hard one because there's actually quite a few, even though we haven't been brilliant this season, there's quite a few contenders for this because p- most players in the squad have improved. Fellaini's got less of a liability and more of an impact. Pogba, has improved his big game performances and looks like a better player has controlled more games Jesse Lingard is a very obvious shout although his impact in the last month has been less but even then huge goals in big games always been the case but doing it much more regularly scored a double against Watford to win us a game double against Burnley to earn us a point has done that on a number of occasions double against Arsenal to win us a game massively important complete change in his finishing ability and and he's he's earning rewards for his his unbelievably good movement. And then you've also got Phil Jones has had one of his best seasons for quite a while. Romelu Kaku, as we mentioned earlier, his hold-up play has improved. So there's quite a few contenders. I'll let you go first on this one um, while I make up my mind.
0: (laughs) I was hoping you were going to go first. to Give me some time. (laughs) Um, This is a a really tough one. I'm going to stall a little bit while I actually decide who I'm going to pick. This is a really tough one. It's been a lot of players, I think, who have surprised us, Um, McTominay being one, as I just said. I think Ashley Young, as as well, maybe deserves a mention. I mean, he was already putting in decent performances at um, left-back last season, but he's improved a lot this season in that position and become a lot more solid defensively. Um, Like I said, even some of the, the, the big players, Pogba, Lukaku, have also improved a lot. Even Matic as well. Obviously, he wasn't here last season, but He's played a lot better this season than he did last at, uh, last year at Chelsea. I think I will probably give my to Lingard. Just because I think he he fits all the boxes of... He was at United last year. He, there's, it's just really one aspect of his game that's been such a clear improvement in terms of his final final decision-making. Um, and just his goal contributions have been so much higher. Obviously, re- being rewarded now with replacing the England set-up very likely looks like go to go to the World Cup. So... I'm going to give mine to Lingard. Yep,
1: I'll match you on that.
0: I think it's easy
1: at the end of a season to only remember the last two, three months at a stretch, to be honest, and not really remember the the entire campaign, which is why focus on Pogba's been very positive, Lukaku's been very positive, Matic has been very positive, even though those three players have, have had poor periods throughout the season. And Jesse Lingard's best period came... Um, end of November into December and carried into the start of January and I think his form then was so amazing that it's, it's got to go to him and it's it's easy to forget how important he was at that time and how improved he was and he hasn't kept it up to the same amazing level but he has kept it up to a good level and he has improved in importance improved in quality so yeah Jesse Lingard for improvement improvement or surprise of the season now we'll, we'll put a, a bad one in before we go to to two good ones. Um, worst moment of the season. We've got we've got a few contenders for this. Um, Harry Maguire's goal for Leicester to equalise 2-2 in the 89th minute. Huddersfield, a 2-1 defeat. Um, yeah. Mistakes from Matu and Lindelof in that game. Burnley, 2-2. Um, I can't remember who scored the free kick in that game. I think Stefan de Voer. Stoke, 2-2. Saved by David De Gea, to be honest. And Sevilla is, is a standout one, probably. But... I think Sevilla, yeah, Sevilla is undoubtedly the worst moment of the season. I think we can all agree on that. But the, the most painful, other than Sevilla, I think is between Leicester, the late equaliser, after, after we'd actually played all right. Um, and we, we got the two goals back from Juan Mata. We were leading, we'd been down, we'd come back and, and then conceded that massive kick in the teeth and was in a, within a bad period. Um, where that happened again and again, again then against Burnley, then against Stoke, no, then against Southampton. So Leicester was painful and Huddersfield was the first really bad result of the season. Um, I think we'd drawn to Liverpool the week before. We'd had an all-right Champions League game, not great in midweek. I think we'd beaten Benfica um, with a with a fortunate Marcus Rashford free kick away from home, 1-0. But before that, we'd been spanking teams 4-0 every week. And then that Huddersfield game came and we, to be honest, got dominated by Huddersfield, the newly promoted Premier League side. So that's probably up, That's probably the most embarrassing moment of the season.
0: Yeah, I, there's a few. Um, I think that the the three three big ones, I guess, for me are Sevilla in the Champions League, just because not only was it going out of the Champions League, but it was going out to Sevilla and it wasn't like we got unlucky in that game. We were absolutely dire. That's a big one. And then Huddersfield and Leicester, I think um Huddersfield, because I think the Huddersfield one is worse because it wasn't really a, a game where, you know, we conceded a, a, a really late goal to lose the game or anything like that. It was just so disappointing because at that point, we still had a lot of hope for the season. You know, we, don't, we the only game we hadn't won by that point was, um, well, that was right after the derby, wasn't it? So we'd, lost, uh, we'd lost, lost the derby, and that was really the only negative result of the season at that point. And, you know, with how well we'd been playing to start the season, I think there was still a lot of hope of us putting on a real challenge for the league and and that was really the start of us coming apart in that October to December to December period but I'm I'm going to give it to Leicester just because I remember for some reason and you know it's not like the Leicester game was uh, the worst our worst result of the season it was a two-all draw um, you know the Huddersfield game is a worse result but for some reason I remember when Maguire scored I was just being so annoyed about everything because we missed so many chances we'd actually played very very well i remember Lukaku having maybe still to this day his best game in the united shirt in terms of his link up play it was brilliant to about four assists and um, rashford missing chances and then there was the calamity yeah. with smalling being injured and being left to mark maguire at the back post one on one just everything about it was so frustrating um and it was and it was so obvious as well you could just see it happening so clearly as you were watching the game so i'm going to go for that as not not necessarily the result, but that goal going in was my worst moment of the season.
1: Yeah, I'd I'd actually forgotten about the the Smalling marking while injured detail. It was it was symbolic. Let's go on to a positive one. Goal of the season. We we were talking before, and I was like, uh, there's not actually that been that many good goals, but there's there's quite a comprehensive list. Ashley Young free kick against Watford. Juan Mata free kick against Leicester. Matic against Palace and Valencia versus Everton, two screamers. The Lingard back heel against Burnley and Lingard's mazy run from about eighty yards away from the goal against Watford. So, I mean, that's a that's a selection of six. But I think for combined importance and brilliance and just twat right in the corner, or not even in the corner, just twat right in the goal. Um, <laughs> Nemanja Matic. One of the one of the one of the goals that can be accompanied by Ann and is football commentary, and any goal like that is a good one. So yeah, Matic versus Palace goal of the season for me. Yeah,
0: it's hard hard to disagree with that one. To be honest, the the only ones I would say that are comparable in any sort of way would be Valencia's volley. Um, I, I mean, may, maybe Lingard's run too. That was a uh, against Watford. That was that was yeah. a brilliant goal. But yeah, I I, I think for me it's definitely uh, definitely got to be. Bobby Matic against Palace, just for like you said, not only not only the goal itself, but the moment, just the end of uh the end of that amazing comeback against Palace. Yeah. Just the whole thing was brilliant.
1: Later on as well. But uh, to be fair, yeah, in terms of goals I've loved this season, Mark and and was also a very good goal to be honest. Marcus Rashford's against Liverpool um in the in the win at Old Trafford recently yeah. was was brilliant. To cut the 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 way he cut inside, took on a player, and then finished into the far corner, and then scored again moments later was not the best goal, but in terms of loving a goal, that's that is well up there. Um, Talk
0: talking of Rashford actually as well, his um, just going all the way back to I think it was the second game of the season, maybe uh, the chip against Swansea.
1: Yeah, very true.
0: That was a, a very it was really well worth I think it was who played the uh, the ball through to him, and he just dinked it over the keeper.
1: Yeah, very true. I mean, there's there's probably quite a few at the start of the season because we're banging them men banging four in on a regular basis that we that we've forgotten yeah. about.
0: Um, oh, how have we forgot this one as well? Lingard against Everton.
1: I can't even remember that properly.
0: The uh, oh no no yes I ball, do. Yeah, from out. Goes into the top right corner and
1: Martial against. Was that also against Everton?
0: What the similar similar sort of goal? Ball under his feet, and he managed to
1: scoop it up and curl it into the top right corner. I can't remember who that was against, but that was a great finish as well. It might have been Everton. I think. I think it, it wasn't
0: Stoke, was it?
1: It might the Everton game on on New Year's Day, and then Stoke. I think was about ten days later. Were both really good games? Yeah. With good goals, I,
0: I might be getting confused with Martial's uh, the great counter attack goal a couple of years ago. Yeah,
1: no, yeah, not that one. But it, it it was a great finish. I think it might I think we might have scored two really good goals against Everton in the same game. Now, um best moments so far of the season. Obviously, FA Cup finals have come against Chelsea. We've got um a few more Premier League games left, so there could be even even better moments. And if we win the FA Cup, that will be the best moment of the season. Um but some some very good moments, especially in the last two months you'd say. Um coming back against City, three two, Crystal Palace comeback, Chelsea comeback win against Liverpool, late goal against Arsenal. Some great moments, but you'd have to say Pogba against City, the second goal, the equalising goal, which was actually better than Chris Smalling's winner because Smalling scored and we were then in front having been two goals down. I thought, and I th- I can't remember, I think it was about 60, 65 minutes and I thought, oh Christ, I can't deal with this for, for the next half an hour. So Smalling's goal went in, went a bit mental and then thought, oh no, they're going to win this. Um they're gonna win this and win the title. So that just had me nervous. Whereas Pobba's equaliser was like, oh my, God, this is this is sensational.
0: I, I mean, it's hard. There's, there's, like you said, in the last in the last few uh, months, there's been some great moments. Uh, just the entire second half against City was great. Um, and I, I think in that game, for me, it was it was De Gea's save actually at the end. I think that for me, was the best moment because, like you said, Smalling's goal was almost too early to be a great moment on its own. Um, Matic's goal against Palace was. Right up there, that was uh, that was brilliant. Just it was the first time in so long that we'd had a comeback like that, and it was so reminiscent of the Fergie days. That was a brilliant moment. I'm trying to think of other other really good moments. I mean, yeah, I get, I get. I mean, it's always a great feeling when you beat Liverpool. So that whole game at Old, at Old Trafford was a wonderful feeling. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think of um, other late goals that we've had during the season that have been us actually coming back to to win a game rather than draw. Yeah,
1: I think City's got to be the best one because of the occasion as well but yeah, thinking yeah. about City I have to have remembered another terrible moment of the season which is when we were 2-1 down to City and they were allaying every ball in the corner at Old Trafford and I oh, I was yeah. there and I think that's one of the most painful experiences I had of just being completely yeah. outplayed also
0: we've forgotten we've forgotten Bristol City as well yeah we, we actually said
1: that before we started recording that was terrible I mean luckily I I didn't watch that game so I was probably spared some of the pain but yeah that was also terrible now Moving on to the to the youth teams, I think we're recording this as the awards are going on and we know um, Demi Mitchell has been given reserves Player of the Year. I haven't seen yet who's Under-18s Player of the Year but for the Under-23s being a rubbish season and I, I, as we're saying this, um, the Managers' Player of the Year, Mourinho has said, has to be Scott McTominay which is an interesting take but I mean, probably for him, it has been Scott McTominay as the biggest surprise, as we said earlier. But um, under twenty-three, he's been a rubbish season, relegated from Premier League too, as as you will have heard if you've been listening um, all throughout the season. So, not too many impressive players. Um, and Demi Mitchell got it, I think, partly because it's voted by the fans, and he had a good few weeks on loan at Hearts before getting into Hearts in Scotland, and has probably has a higher profile than some players. But <clears throat> even though Tahees Chong the winger has only been back in action after after knee injury and a knee operation for for a few months I he's been the most impressive player in, in the in the side and Ethan Hamilton in midfield has, has been fantastic as well and one of the most consistent players in the team um and not many of them have been that consistent the, other, the officially the other two nominees were were Kieran O'Hara and um, and Ethan Hamilton but Demi Mitchell got it. No Tahit Chong in that, but Tahit Chong was, was nominated for the under-18s. I don't know how much of the under-23s you've watched, but I I don't know who your player of the year would be.
0: I've watched a few of their games this season. Um, Tahit Chong has been the most impressive performer in that team for me. Obviously, I guess because of his age, he's been nominated for the under-18s award, but I, that would have been yeah. who I would have given it to. Um, Demi Mitchell, you know, not too bad. Um so I mean it, not not much to choose from really in that in that category.
1: I yeah, I think Chong deserves it. It's just I'm not he's been put in the under 18s Which is wrong as well because it it takes away from the under eighteens players have been fantastic anyway. So yeah. I don't think he should have been nominated for that. I, I assume it's just a flaw with, with how the system works because he officially is an under eighteens player. Um but in terms of under eighteens, the three best players for me have been Leo Connor, the captain. Jimmy Garner, who's often the captain sometimes if if O'Connor's out. Um, O'Connor's a centre-back and a right-back and a defensive midfielder and has also played on the right wing and left wing for, for Ireland and has played in every position except up front on the pitch for club and country in the last two seasons. Jimmy Garner in midfield, who's formed a great partnership with Dylan Levitt in recent months. And the, the final one would be Mason Greenwood, who made his debut for the under 18s at the start of season in a pre-season training camp in Austria scored a hat trick on that debut and has gone on to be the top scorer for the team and I think he's contributed to um like he scored 16 and assisted six and he at one point hit a record of 12 goals in 10 games I think his his goal scoring rate has been phenomenal and he's contributed assists and his style of play is fantastic and he's I think he's now turned 17 but he's playing a year up not even a year up. He's playing two years up. He could still be playing with the... He's an under-16 player playing in the under-18 Premier League and has been one of the best players in the league, let alone in the United. So he's the final nominee. But I think in terms of importance to the team, Leo Connor, the captain has been... The, his composure in defence and his ability to step out into midfield for a very good goal-scoring side in the United's under-18 team of, of one under-18 Premier League North and will be in the final of the under-18 Premier League in a few days against Chelsea... But O'Connor's been so important in contributing to that goal-scoring effort even though he's playing in defence because he starts attacks from defence all the time and dribbles out of, out of defence into midfield and then sprays it wide or or plays a little pass into the box. And O'Connor, for me, under-18s player of the year. And we've just seen that David De Gea has been shockingly named Manchester United Player of the year for, I, I think this is the fifth time in six years. I can't I can't remember the exact numbers, but something ridiculous. Jeez. Um, and a deserved award. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> Another deserved award. Yeah. And please, please let Real Madrid target Thibaut Courtois yeah. um, this summer and not David De Gea. Any more award suggestions before we move on? Any niche awards you'd like to propose? Um, um, we've gone through most of
0: them. i my head. Maybe funniest moment of the season, although I can't really think of a standout standout moment for that. Yeah,
1: I remember we did this in our season review last year. We will do a season review this year, but um, and we'll mention these again. And maybe it will have changed in the in the remaining five games of the season um, or four games now, I think. But last season, I think I said Eric Bi with with the League Cup running and sliding on the floor. Um, Louis van had a lot of funny moments when he dived <laughs> <laughs> dived against Arsenal. In front Mike Smalling. Yeah, yeah, Mike Smalling. Um, as well. Hey you fat man. Or hey, pay attention to the manager. <laughs> yeah. We had plenty with Lou Van Halen. Not not so many this season. Yeah. I, I can't think of a of a funny. Yeah, I can't out. really
0: think of a standout uh, standout
1: moment really. Yeah, it's odd. I mean partly because for a lot of the season it's it's not been a great mood around the club, even though we we might end the season with an FA Cup and, and finishing second. Um now we we must wrap things up if we can't think of any any funny moments. Um,
0: the the only one I could think of that should be in any way eligible is uh, Lingard Millie rocking at the Emirates.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll stick it with that one because that, that was funny and very satisfying. Um, whatever your opinions on Jesse Lingard, although if if yeah. it's not one of one of love for Jesse Lingard, then I don't really know how you've coped listening to his podcast all season. <laughs> right, we got Brighton on Friday, another stupid Friday evening match, which either be boring or we'll lose I hate Friday evening matches and ruins really you going out in the evening um, yeah that's my that's my main take on the match because since it has pretty much no relevance in the league season prediction very quickly I'll
0: be watching it at 3pm three, 3 p. M. my time oh, so that'd be great yeah I mean that's that's lovely <laughs> to go out yeah. nicely afterwards hopefully I've been mean, watching United win
1: yeah that's uh, yeah I suppose that's why it's at Friday evening um, yeah since yeah. the English fans don't actually matter I mean you remain an English fan but uh, an English fan abroad at the moment I'm going to go off the top I'm going to go 2-1 United in a boring and dull game that somehow has three goals your prediction
0: yeah I also think it's going to be a pretty boring pretty boring game I don't know I I just I don't have a great feeling about it to be honest I'm tempted to go with a 0-0 but against my better judgement I'll go for a 1-0 United win
1: nice stay positive I mean, I, we just need to keep the momentum off ahead, ahead of the FA Cup final, and hopefully, given that we've yeah. pretty much secured second, as long as we don't have any huge mess ups, we should see some some of the best under twenty three players coming into the team. You'd think Andrew Gomez might get a spot on the bench in in, in the next few games, and it it would be a very deserved debut for Teeth Chong, who we just spoke about, if he was to to be to, to be called up to the first team squad. Ethan Hamilton as well, I think deserves a chance um obviously it's hard cuz if you, if you're giving someone if you're giving a midfielder a chance you want Scott McTominay to get more experience but then to Heath Chong I mean we we haven't got wingers in our squad anyway so Chong can come yeah. in yeah but at the same time you're trying to squeeze Martial and Rashford in there so it, it's obviously hard at the end of the season trying to get players minutes stop them from leaving or or judge them to decide whether to to sell or or, or stay or give them a new contract so it's difficult but you'd hope to see some inclusions at least of of some of the younger players um but we must wrap things up there been a, a long episode not actually intended to be but that's the way it's turned up um thank you very much for listening to series 3 episode 30 of the manchester united weekly podcast um we'll be back next week at some time we've got brighton on friday i think we have got west ham the next thursday ridiculous set of ridiculous schedule of united games in the, in the next couple of weeks but it's all um, we're all looking forward to the FA Cup final. That's pretty much the only focus of this season now. So thanks as always for listening. Um, you can find Jack on Twitter at...
0: At UTDTait, And you can find
1: me at at Robinson 64 on the podcast itself at UTDWeeklyPod. That's P-O-D at the end there. Thanks as always for listening. Have a great week. Goodbye.